everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I am your host, Kerry Parker, and we have part two today of our dual interview uh, with two wonderful gentlemen from Cyber Scout, uh, Edward Goodman and Adam Levin. Uh, so if you missed part one, you definitely want to go back and check that one out first. And before I kind of summarize our thing today, I just want to wish everybody happy Father's Day. I know it's after the fact. I should probably should, probably should have said it uh, in the last one ahead of time. But anyway, I hope you all had a good Father's Day. I know I did. I had a really good time just hanging out with my two daughters. They got me a really nice card, and uh, they got me a subscription master class, which is really cool. If you haven't checked that out, if you like just learning stuff, uh, it's great. It's a, really, it's a really cool thing. Uh, also, be sure to stay tuned uh, to the end of the show. I've got a, at least one really important security note that I want to pass along, and I'll and I'll save it for the end so that you can remember it more after you get done with the podcast. You can go do something about it. So today we're going to pick up with part two. Uh, we talked about kind of security issues that have cropped up with all of our learning and working from home thanks to the coronavirus. And today we're going to get into some of the, more of the privacy aspects, some of the personal privacy, because uh, schools and employers who are not used to having to work remotely are not always trusting that the students and the employees are doing what they're supposed to be doing and not screwing around. So unfortunately, a lot of them have turned to surveillance of one form or another uh, to keep tabs on on people. And we're going to talk a little bit about that and what that means and what your rights are in, in those situations. And we'll also talk about it from more of a macro level, from a democracy level, because the government also uh, is wanting to do more surveillance, uh, trying to get us to trade some privacy in hopes of having better security. And uh, as we all know um, from our experience with 9-11, all these temporary measures tend to not be very temporary. And we'll talk about some other aspects too. I mean, you know, for example, if you're a lot of, a lot of companies can't necessarily afford to give, you know, laptops to all their employees, certainly at, at the last minute, if everybody was sent home. So they might be asking you to use your home computers or your home phones or tablets or whatever for work. And, you know, that creates problems too. Or if the company is sued or something and you're using a personal computer, there's a lot of, you know, things get really kind of fuzzy and nasty there. So, well, anyway, lots to talk about and two great people to talk about it with. So without further ado, let's get into part two of our interview with Adam Levin and Edward Goodwin from CyberScout. And it's, uh, it's actually a great segue into, I want to now start talking about some privacy issues because uh, while I understand the the corporate need for, you know, protecting intellectual property and things like that. Uh, I've read a lot of very disturbing articles about companies and schools for that matter, that are not used to having remote people. And uh, the, the, they have resorted to some pretty nasty surveillance uh, of their employees and students, uh, you know, make sure that there's always a video camera on them while they're say some of them are recording videos while they're working uh, or while they're taking a test or things like that. Let's shift to privacy a little bit. What kind of things are you seeing now with regard to uh, companies surveilling their employees and students? Yeah, I think you you, nail, you, you hit the nail on the head. And, and I think the, the key is this. I think for organizations who have never dealt with work from home before, these seem like good ideas, right? <laughs> they seem like them. And, and, I, and I'm saying that, but, you know, the, the other issue is, uh, you know, you want to create a culture of privacy and security, but you also need to create a culture of trust. And I guess the question is, do you trust your employees? You know, are the are you are they professionals? Again, 
every business is different. Some businesses have only hourly, some, you know, and I get it. And education is the same, but my wife's a teacher and she's had to, to flip her entire, mm. uh, everything very, very quickly in March. Uh, they never did go back to the classroom and, uh, and they did change it. And, you know, again, it became less about testing, but, but uh, yeah, I, I think there's some huge issues with that. And, and there are genuine concerns because I think the other problem is those types of, of activities are a bit, you know, I'll just say it. They're patently offensive to a lot of people, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and now you're you're now you have an employee who you know has been told, oh, you know, okay, you need to turn your camera on so we can make sure that you're working, and they they feel guilty if they go make a cup of tea or if they right. use the restroom, you know, and and you know, which is you know, but then do you think that employee is also going to be there? A minute past five. You think they're going to do anything? So, so I think it's finding that balance. And again, it's hard to say that with every everything. But you know, listen, I'm I like to joke, and Adam as well. We're we're recovering attorneys. So I have, <laughs> I have a lot of I, I have a lot of law friends that, that legal friends from law school that are are still you know uh, functioning members of society and attorneys. <laughs> you know, for, you know, practicing in law firms. And and it's funny because really good friend of mine, employment lawyer in Los Angeles. She's like, you know, and I'm getting some input on how we should be managing all of this. And she's like, listen, we as a law firm have had to completely pivot our way of thinking. You know, for the longest time, we were like, legal secretaries, they could never work from home. Oh, my mm. gosh, that would be the end of the world. <laughs> she's like, she's like, guess what? Like, that was such baloney. They have mm. kept us going. They have kept us afloat. They've been the ones that are keeping us all on top of things. Like, they've done a better job. We're, we're wondering if, why would they go back to the office? Right, point, yeah. Right? And and my point is that, you know, I think organizations do need to be open to the way that, that work's changing and probably going to be forever changed. Yep. And there, there does have to be that bit of trust. Now, there are certain industries and there are certain jobs that might warrant heightened levels of security and might be a little bit more intrusive on privacy as a result. And I think that those would stand a reason in certain higher risk areas in banking, for instance, because mm. even banks and folks were, were moving and re working remote. Different types of support roles like that, where you're, you're dealing with it. Um, yeah, that, that makes a little bit more sense. But there, there are tools, I think, that can be used. But I, I think what we're finding is that most organizations Again, uh, from the Googles and Apples of the world, the, the plenty of remote workers to small workers like us that have plenty of global, you know, workers that are working remote a lot of the time. Um, you didn't have to resort to draconian measures because we already realized, you know, to some degree that it, it tends to increase productivity when mm. you give that trust. I mean, again, I always joke like I, I would be offended if someone asked why it was, you know, I don't know taking a break or having a lackadaisical Thursday afternoon only because no one's ever asked me what I was doing working all day on a Sunday or <laughs> right. working until 11 o'clock at night on a Tuesday, right? So I, I think the idea of this nine to five tied to your desk, you know, kind of moving back and forth, I, I think a lot of that's changing. I, I think, again, a lot of these tools sound like good things, but if you really want to get your employees invested, you know, the studies have shown for years that they just don't work. Now, if you're an employee and this is being forced on you, I have bad news if you're an American. Mm -hmm. You don't really have a whole lot of protection unless you want to say, hey, you know what? Take your take this job and shove it. You right. know, yeah, kind yeah. Of old country western song. Uh -huh. uh, you know, it, it, we don't live in that environment. If you're in another, you know, other jurisdictions, uh, just easy example, France, you the, your employer has no no right to even really go through your your communications, even huh. using company, you know, equipment and network. So, you know, it, it's finding that in between. But, you know, again, 
if you're looking at saying, hey, I've got legal privacy rights or constitutional rights to privacy, unless you're some government worker or it's the government intruding, unfortunately, we're in a new world right now. I mean, again, people have been working from home for quite some time, but not at this scale. And companies have had to flip on a dime. Our legal system has had to do it. Is so, you know, there's just not a lot of that going on right now. And unfortunately, people have to understand it's more about that time the company feels they're allotting to you working those hours and not where you're doing it anymore. And so, you know, that expectation of privacy during those hours might be diminished, even if you're working in your own living room. Now, is that right? Is that wrong? I'm not, you know, I try to remain agnostic to some degree. I wouldn't stand for it. That's just me. But I have the luxury of, of, of pushing back. And right. I also work for a company that, that that's not how we, we act. Now, given, you know, again, it, it doesn't mean that you still don't build in safety valves. So uh, maybe auditing periods to look at work during a certain time to make sure folks are as productive as they were last year. I think a lot of orgs have found they've actually been more productive yeah. than they've done those lookbacks. Uh, but, you know, things like that that are a little bit more I don't know, privacy agnostic in some respects in that, you know, doing a look back and comparative on productivity, that's a lot less privacy intrusive than saying, I want you to turn your camera on for the eight hours that you're working at, you know, even though you're at home. Um, It's also a lot more productive because, again, you must have a lot of time to do as a supervisor if you can sit there and watch people sitting at the (laughs) desk for eight hours. Um, So, again, those are just some of the key things that that we're seeing, but kind of the issues that are starting to come up. And and I think it just really has to do with um, how mature an organization is around work from home and work from home policies. And, and, you know, again, we're a pretty modern company. We've we've always had people in and out, you know, working remote. But I realize there's some companies that – still really think that that the way to work is in an office from eight to five, eight Mm. to six, whatever. Um, And if you're not, you're, you're not working. And I just, I think a lot of that has to change depending on the type of business that you're in. One observation too, is that I think now with this new work at home culture, that we are perhaps shifting to a mindset that is deliverables based Mm. as opposed to time clock based. I, I couldn't agree more. I was just reading an article on that and just the idea that, you know, in the end, if you have certain things that need to get done, it shouldn't matter, you know, you know, if you get them done early, as long as the quality is there. And, and again, I think that is a very much always been a Silicon Valley model, which if anyone, you know, knows people, you're in tech. Uh, it's not exactly uh, the the slacker uh, employee that people make it out to be. In fact, most people I know that work in that space are, uh, you know, quite often dealing, uh, you know, with fighting workaholism, <laughs> you right. know, oh, yeah. programming for 20 hours straight of realizing, oh, maybe I should take a nap or those types of things. And, and you know, I do think to Adam's point, you know, that's a, a probably increasingly a better way to, to measure productivity because what we're realizing and finding and, 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 you know, is that I'm getting emails and, and I'm getting work from folks at all hours. Right. And I'm realizing, geez, there are some people that are tremendously productive between the hours of eight at night and two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and I shouldn't bother, you know, getting anything from them until noon. And that's fine because in the end I'm getting really quality work. So, you know, but again, that may not serve every business, but, but I do think, I think the most important thing, though, to realize about the tech aspect of this, about the tools, about the way, you know, security and all of this is changing is, and it really I want to leave folks with, just because I sit on our committee dealing with this in our own org, just expect that this not, not only could be protracted, 
culturally is probably going to change what what the workspace looks like in America and the rest of the world uh, for the foreseeable future. You know, it's become quite normalized for my own kids now and all of their friends to see their parents working from home. And that becomes their expectation generationally that uh, why would I go into an office except to collaborate once or twice a week if necessary when I, you know, have temporal flexibility and I have all these other things that remote work gives me, right? So, uh, which isn't always good, right? Uh, It's also isolation and all the other negatives. Well, I I think you're absolutely right. I think there's, this is not going to be temporary in the sense that even once we have the vaccine and maybe get a handle on the the virus itself, we will have gotten used to a new normal. And we've, uh, I think, like you said, uh, some of those other businesses, they've learned that, oh, this, this can work. We didn't think it would work, but now that we were forced to do it, uh, we can't see that it does work. And I, I certainly one of those people I find that I think I end up working more now that I'm working from home. They're just all the, the boundaries all fuzzy. There's no hard thing like, OK, I left the office and came home. That That's a that's a boundary. You know, that there's no boundary like that anymore. Same thing for learning. But the, the other thing that fascinates me about this is if this had happened even just 10 years ago, this wouldn't have even been possible. No, I mean, the, no. <laughs> we're, we're so blessed. I yeah. tell my wife that all the time. She, I, I mean, it sounds silly to say we're blessed that, that this has happened. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is. We are more lucky than in the history of mankind that this has happened, at least in, in our lifetime at this particular moment, because it, it is a confluence and, and a emerging of technology, of culture shift and all of these things. And and so I really, you know, every time she's down, I said, we, our kids wouldn't get any education if this happened 10 years ago. We wouldn't be able to get any right, work right, done right. Versus, versus like, oh, my gosh, why do I feel busier than I ever have? And, and you know, but all the crux of all of that is technology, uh, which is where the risk and everything else comes. And we would be really happy if we own stock in companies like <laughs> Zoom and Splunk and TravelDoc. So anyway. So we've, we touched a little bit on, on the on the privacy aspects. So I am going to ask you to dust off your lawyer hats for a second. And it, I think most people, when they're in the office, understand that they don't really have much expectation of privacy. Certainly, you know, when they're on you know, foreign soil or on someone else's, you know, in someone else's building uses someone else's equipment, uh, you know, for the nine to five day. But, you know, how does that translate when you're home? I mean, from a, from, from an employee perspective, what sort of privacy rights should you expect? I mean, is it, I know that a lot of times when you sign employment agreements, you know, buried in there somewhere, is that, you know, things like even like innovation, this is probably a time when there's a lot of innovation people at home. If you used a company resource while you came up with the next big thing, that company's probably got rights to it. So if you could, if there's any kind of walk us through, like what are some of the legal aspects around, uh, around privacy and working from home that maybe people hadn't thought about? Well, and I, I think, I think, you, well, I'll just start with the one that you mentioned. And I think, uh, you know, intellectual property that you might be developing on your own time when those hours and working from home is now squishy. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a big one. I think uh, that won't play out for another few years as as we start seeing patent and you know business process and other types of disputes that start coming up. But I think that's that's a key one, right? And uh, you know I think that that's that's obviously one. But I think the other side is um, you know how we start seeing adoption and use of you know tracking and productivity software and and tools and apps yeah. that start bleeding into your 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 private life right. and what right you have as an employee to say no to turn that off to say you know what you have no right you know that kind of thing you know and and I think the problem is you know the problem is this the laws and the books don't fit what we're dealing with right now right. so and what I mean by that is that there's really no precedent for it and that's just the legal system we're in so what we're going to end up seeing is 
how those boundaries get reformed when employees do push back. The problem is right now, when you're looking at close to 20% unemployment, there are not a lot of employees that are willing to push back at this exact right, moment. Sure. I think we're going to see that change. Uh, but right now, folks are, you know, even folks who are, are running on fumes are happy to have a job, right? Happy to be getting a paycheck, to have a roof over their head, not have to worry about where their rent money is going to come from. So I, I think that's one of the issues. And I, and I do think that there's going to be, uh, again, long term, I, I think there's going to be some problems. That's why I urge the, the company folks, the folks that are, you know, uh, listening from that with that ear to really be cognizant of some of these tools you think are a good idea and ask yourself, well, would you feel comfortable if if your child is being tracked mm-hmm. in the same mm-hmm. way? If, if you know, would you be comfortable if the teacher told your eight-year-old uh, working from home, I want you to put your camera on for 10 hours a day <laughs> right. in your bedroom? Right. Because I certainly wouldn't. And I know that's a little, a little extreme, but, um, you know, again, uh, there still is that, you know, uh, where do I feel uncomfortable? And I think most people still, even if you're an employer, uh, have a general sense of what that is. I think those lines are going to start to get crossed, asked to be crossed. I think, you know, there are going to be some employers who are going to throw their weight around and say, listen, we'll find someone else if you're not willing mm-hmm. to do this. And people are going to have to willing to, to sort of take stands. So, you know, again, hard to foresee, but I, I think that's one huge issue. I think what we're going to see is, is uh, you know, again, you know, a lot of issues when people decide, listen, I don't want to come back. Um, I want you to make accommodations and let me continue to work from home. Sure, yeah. Uh, they're not going to be able to say no because, you know, if, if you have a, uh, you know, a health reason or something like that, but there's going to be a lot of uh, back and forth on that and question as far as technology being used, you know, but, you know, I, I, I think right now, I hate to say it in the current environment that we're in, there's not, there's not a lot of positivity on the employee level from a privacy standpoint, unless people are willing to sort of take a stand uh, or companies are willing to really think about what's right around this and, and, you know, and, and escalate the needs around that type of surveillance of employees based on the risk level. You know, again, if, if I'm just selling widgets, probably not highly secure. If I'm, if I'm selling, you know, or, or, or dealing with, uh, I don't know, highly sensitive technology or banking secrets or things like that, those employees probably are already used to having that kind of uh, level yeah, of scrutiny. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but so this, I, I, Eddie, Eddie, this also argues the point that there should be separate devices. Hundred percent. Because one hundred percent. Once you start mixing your personal device with the business device, and then there's a blur between which email people are mm-hmm. contacting you on, and you're you're using the same device to respond to everything, and you know, remember, and, and Eddie has lived with this more than I have from a legal standpoint, is what's discoverable? And do you want to end up with somebody possibly, even if it's a, a, you know, a master, crawling through all of your personal email combined with your business email because there's some litigation going on? Mm. Yeah, yeah and, I, and I think that's going to be the crux of it, too. I think I, I do think that. Uh, because it's about, I think the legal problems are going to happen right where those boundaries are fuzzy, if you, if, if that makes any sense. And the more you can create distinct lines between what your work and your private life is, even if it's all happening in the same place. And that includes having, you know, devices that are, you know, used completely separately during separate times. Um, you know, again, it, it allows for those extra protections, uh, you know, and I, I do urge employees to push back if their employers are expecting to leverage their personal devices. Um, you know, there, I've heard horror stories of, of employers, A, 
saying, yep, you're, we expect you to you know, use your own laptop and use your own, uh, your own phone and all that. Oh, by the way, here's a link. We need you to, to download this tool. <laughs> right. uh, and, and they're basically being forced to download surveillance tools on right, their private right. devices. And, and so, yeah, that's offensive. Uh, that's offensive from a, a, a private person standpoint. But that's a liability now in a lot of respects uh, from a company standpoint. You know, you don't know what kind of data you're getting. You don't know what happens when termination or separation. If that employee starts to leave, what happens then? So, so again, I, I guess the one thing I can, I, I, that I just want to leave with is old Jamaican proverb, always be careful when in a rush. Mm-hmm. And that's what we really need to concentrate on now is that you know, a lot of these things were, uh, oh, my gosh, it's, you know, it's the end of March. Things are shutting down. What do we do? Get people work from home. Let's do this really quickly. Now that folks are realizing this might, we might be in for the long haul, it's, it's yeah. time to think it through. It's time to do not rush to judgment on these types of things. It's time to think through what it's going to look like and revisit whether the way you launch things back in March when you move folks home is actually really working, uh, you know, and, and, you know, go back. And it's not about set it and forget it. And that includes talking to your employees. I just believe that happy employees are productive and good employees in the long run. And, you know, making sure you're you're getting that feedback on, hey, are you getting all the tools you need technology-wise? Are you having – I mean, we had some people that had slow network connections. Mm-hmm. We, we got them hotspots because it was faster than what they had. Wow. Um, but you wouldn't know that unless you're you're having that dialogue and saying, yeah, we don't have a bandwidth. We don't have a – you know, high speed bandwidth where I'm at, just you know, not available. So no, and and again, following up on what you said, Eddie, if if you view, which you should, that your employees as the, you know, they could be the the first point of attack, but yet the last line of defense for your organization, they need to be happy. They need to feel invested, as you said. Right. Yeah. Uh, they they need to feel part of an organization. They need to feel part of something that that's bigger than they are. Uh, that everyone's a part of because it's the whole concept of I'm protecting the community. And you can't do that when you have employees that are disgruntled or feel like you are hanging on every word or uh, looking at them eight hours a day or at least the possibility that tape is running. Mm-hmm. These kinds of things, they, they, this does not create cooperation, collaboration, and communication, that's for sure. So... One of the things we've all had to deal with now is uh, much, much greater use. For some of us, uh, it's a new thing, uh, doing a lot of video conferencing um, between working, you know, attending meetings virtually remotely or doing remote learning. Uh, everyone and their brother now has heard of Zoom. It's, <laughs> it's now a household term, which I'd never heard of prior, uh, at least in the context of the company, uh, obviously. But And then the other term, of course, is Zoom bombing, which is now in our lexicon. So if you would, uh, could you give us some, maybe some concrete advice on for people you know, doing this now, what kind of security and privacy issues there are around these? Most of these services are free for a lot of these things. Uh, and I know that we all have an aversion for free for, <laughs> for anything with, uh, that we expect to be private, but some of them do claim some privacy. What, what, uh, what recommendations do you have for people you know, looking for the right solution and how to uh, set them up to be secure and private? Well, first of all, you get what you pay for. So uh, when, it, when it comes to free and I, you know, that, that and, I, and I, you know, so I think that's something to understand is that, you know, whatever free is, you're paying probably some, some other way too, whether it's your, your, some of your information or some other data that you don't expect or, or uh, most likely won't read when you read the privacy policy. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one thing. I think the other is that, you know, listen, even with the free stuff, 
there's some steps you can take when you're setting up these meetings that can help alleviate it. A lot of the Zoom bombing that went on, people just had default meetings set up mm-hmm. or uh, with no passwords. Right. So, you know, one of the easy things is, hey, set a password. That alone is pretty easy for, for you know, even when the big Zoom, uh, everyone was freaked out about it because of security issues. Uh, if our organization, Zoom, never hold, held any of our credentials. We just had it set up that way so there weren't any real risks around that. But, you know, there, there's ways to manage it. But, you know, I don't want to pick on Zoom. The way I look at it, you know, it's inter- I, I follow Bruce Schneier, who's a, a you know, mm-hmm. a, a great uh, security, yep. brilliant mind in security, I think, uh, just the most brilliantly common sense sort of ways. Yeah, yes. and I, I also definitely agree with, you know, his mindset. He uses Zoom just like like we do. Um, and, and he said, listen, you know, the same way I think about it is that this has now been pressure tested by 100 million people. <laughs> constantly right um so they were bound to have some security issues they discovered as a result well no one talks about cisco security issues you know back in february prior to this whole thing happening that they had to quietly patch because uh you know there's their their video conferencing solutions uh suffered from all of the exact or similar types of 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 issues uh prior to patch so you know but so I, i think you know the reality is you know whether whatever solution you're using it doesn't have to be zoom you know whatever it is you know, is is just making sure you're not going with all the default settings, which tends to be no password, tends to be the same meeting ID for every meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those types of little things can really bring up your level of security. I think the other thing, and it goes back to what I said before, a patch management, making sure your software is up to date. I mean, uh, as soon as you get a, um, you know, a Zoom or a Skype or a WhatsApp or whatever you're using, you know, hey, there's an update available. Would you like to install it right then and there? You know, this is yeah. your, your gateway to the world, um, and, and so it's worth doing. There's a reason it's there, and, uh, you know, again, a matter of a day or two can make all the difference. So, you know, but, but I, I think it's just about common sense, and, and again, some of those basic things. You know, I, 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 even my kids had, had something pop in. Fortunately, you know, a, a Zoom bombing happened on a call they were on. I was oh my gosh, was there anything? No, nothing lewd happened, thank mm-hmm. God. But yeah. um, but I you know, I was like, listen, was there a password? No. I, I put passwords on it all the time now. I'm like, good, because that's probably what happened. It's a standing meeting. People can, you know, uh, you type in the random number, you know, on an extension and suddenly you're in, you know, without having any other forced, you know, requirements. So, and so I just think being cognizant of that. I think if you're a business, though, and you're relying on it, uh, obviously, um, you know, everything it costs money, but, uh, you know, spring for the fee version, uh, it's going to have all security integrated. It's going to let you set it up in ways that, uh, you know, you know, you wouldn't be able to do for the free freeware versions of it. And, you know, and I, I think that's really one of the keys, uh, is just making sure that you do recognize, you know, you, you do get what you pay for, um, and always hit those updates, use the basic security, you know, force passwords, Sometimes it means you get texts from half your meeting. Oh, I can't log in. Is there a password? It's in the invite, but here's the (laughs) password, guys. You know, it's a different channel, so it's secure. But, um, but, you know, again, so sometimes it's that trade-off of security versus convenience. I lean towards security myself. Well, also, you know, the uh, the fact that they they Zoom did just this past week actually introduce Mm. a much higher level of security and a serious upgrade. And, you know, the things they have with waiting rooms, now they have much stronger encryption. Uh, there's ways, as Eddie mentioned, to lock the meeting. You can also, if someone is thrown out of a meeting, you can block them from coming mm. back. Also, there's now you can do one-click reporting of Zoom bombing. 
and and it, it's all very important. And and what we try to say to businesses is, whatever it may cost you to get security and training right, is nothing compared to what it will cost you if you get it wrong right. and you have a breach, and now trust lawsuits, regulatory activity—it's it's a nightmare. Well, and to your point about pay, you know, you get what you pay for. Even Zoom, uh, who has, you know, they, you're right. They had, they had some issues that certainly uh, growing up and, and finding some holes that they didn't know were there. And they've come a long way. But even Zoom has just said that the end-to-end encryption, true end-to-end encryption, meaning that even Zoom can't see your meetings, uh, will only be available to the pay customers and not to the, uh, it will, won't, won't, will not be available for the free customers. Yep, yep. All right, so this next topic, I'm sure we could talk on for another hour, but but I'd like to get a little philosophical before we quit, and that is you talked about how you know these things we kind of rushed into them, and because of you know we were thrown into the situation, we kind of whipped this together, Jerry rigged some things to make it work, thinking this would be a short term thing, but it's not. Um, and just like I hate to bring it back, but just like nine eleven. Uh, way back when we had a lot of quote unquote temporary security measures that were put in place, you know, giving away uh, some privacy uh, in return for supposed security. And so how, how do we think about this, you know, going forward? We've already kind of rushed into this, as you said, you know, it will be good at some point to realize it's going to be long term and we kind of take a beat uh, and maybe reevaluate how we want to do this, how we want to trust uh, our employees working from home, et cetera. But, you know, at a philosophical level, level, how do we look at this with the right perspective? How do we avoid those short-term, you know, easy, quote unquote, easy solutions where we quickly give up something that we may never get back? Yeah. And I think 9-11 is, a, is such a prime example and I hate, I hate to compare with it, but I, I think you know, everything that uh, came afterwards, which fundamentally changed our society uh, to, to become very much, you know, uh, I hate to say it and that sound tin hat conspiratorial, but much more of a, a surveillance society. Yeah. It's undeniable that. really. Uh, yeah. I, I think, you know, and I think this, this strikes at that same thing. And I think the problem is that, you know, listen, even being a privacy specialist, and privacy advocate, you know, I do recognize that, that, there are certain times or certain events or certain places where you have diminished senses of privacy, whether you're at an international border and whether you're, you know, all these things are, they are still built into our law. But the other, the other thing is, I think you straight, you really hit at it is that oftentimes these exigent circumstances are, are a bit of a trap, Hmm. right? In that uh, they suck us in, they give us a bit more of a touchy-feely feeling of, oh, I get that warm, fuzzy blanket. I'm going to give up some of this just so I feel safer, whether you really are or not. And so I, I think that you know, contact tracing, contact tracing apps, a lot of the things that are going on right now, I, 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 first of all, I, I believe in science. I'll just I'll see that very clearly, right? Yep. So I, I do understand. I very much believe in the value of it, especially when you're dealing with tracking infectious disease. Um, and trying to contain it and contain exposures, especially once, whenever we get past this peak and we still have these flare-ups, it's very, very important to continue to do that. I think the problem is, uh, you and I both know that it's not going to stop there, mm. right? And and what I mean by that is that, you know, whether it's government, and, and I'm not saying U.S. government, because right. this oh, right. is a universal global yes. issue oh, right yes. now. 9-11 wasn't. I mean, it became, right. but, but, you know, that was a very uniquely American problem. Let's just say that yep. this is everywhere. And so, so if you want to expand outside of just the U S for a second, 
we all know that there's plenty of, of, of countries, China um, and other other, you know, uh, non-democratic societies that are, are already are somewhat of a surveillance environment that are just going to you know, use this and, right. and take this to the extreme. Um, but I do think that there are countries that have done a better job of, of getting it right. You know, countries like South Korea, even countries like Germany and, and other places like that that are, have a very high value towards towards privacy that have, have, you know, figured out how to make this work. But, you know, the, the problem is, again, it goes back to that old adage, like I said earlier, always be careful when in a rush. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're rushing to do this without thinking about the consequences, without thinking of any end date, because nobody knows when that's going to be for this. Right. Um, and I'll tell you, if this becomes a standard and, and we start thinking of contact tracing as sort of a, a governmental right or something like that, it's not going to end with COVID because this is not the last communicable disease right. that we're going to see in our lifetimes. You know, you know, hopefully it, it's, it's nothing you know, like this, but you know, we have to be prepared and, and you know, that governments are going to say, well, now we have this in our back pocket for next time. Exactly. And the technology is still there on, on, you know, tracking people and exchange, you know, and all, all the stuff can, it can still be leveraged. So, you know, I, I think the problem when we move to the U S you know, again, is that unfortunately, um, it's also uh, unfortunately become deeply politicized in this country, oh, yeah, just like yeah. whether you want to wear a mask or not. Oh, God, right. Yes, yes. Um, and, and so there there's and you look at the surveys and you have about a 50 percent split on folks that are 100 percent all right with a contact tracing app and that sharing of information hmm. uh, in a limited basis if there's proper stuff put in, in mm-hmm, place. Mm-hmm. And the other folks that says, no way, I'd never consent to it. <laughs> Right. Uh, I don't want the government. I don't want them having that. They're going to use it for other things. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's hard to say where I fit. I Again, I, I do see the value in it. Unfortunately, I, I've also seen abuses by our own country on oh, yeah. collection of cell phone data, yep. on call records and all sorts of other things that were never supposed to happen. Right. You know, and and and, and this is even more scary because it in, often includes location, geolocation uh-huh. data, basically. It includes who you associate with. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, you can start seeing in, in the charged political environment that we live in, regardless of what side of the fence you're on, how that can raise people's heckles a bit to say, wait a second, you're going to know where I am, who I hang out with and socialize and meet with, who they meet and socialize right. with, you know, and, and suddenly it's it's. um doesn't, it's not just contact tracing. It's informational meme tracing. It's political uh, belief. Tra- you know oh, what I mean? Yeah. Oh, There's yeah. all sorts of other things that it can spill into. And so, you know, I, I think that's where the problem is. Um, I, I do think that you're in a better situation if you're a European, you're living under GDPR, and you, you do right. have these very well-defined, somewhat oversimplified, in my own opinion, privacy rights that are spelled out there that they kind of have to abide by. Uh, in the U.S., I, unfortunately... And again, trying not trying to steer out of political waters. This crisis has not been a very unified ap- approach at all. It has unfortunately boiled down to a states' rights or a states' right. approach yeah, issue. Yeah. And so, what happens now is versus you know, instead of having one unified methodology and approach, even though we do have a federal bill that might limit how it's used and, and talk about that, this is it: fifty different versions just in right. our own country. Right. Uh, some that might be fantastic. You know, I, I would trust that if California develop ones, right, they're very right. privacy conscious. They've got Silicon Valley. It's going to probably be based off of Apple and Google, you know, API mm-hmm. standards that they put out. But we've already seen issues in, I believe it's North Dakota. Yep. yep. Where data was spilling out to Foursquare and Google in yep. ways that it absolutely should never have. And their privacy policy was inconsistent with what was actually happening. Right. And, and so 
again, uh, we could talk about this for an hour. I, I yeah. think, I think those those are some of the issues, and I think the problem is that um, I, I don't know. I, I think in a country like the U.S., we might have missed that boat because it isn't something that's been done on a universal. It's not something that the CDC's put out. It's not something that you know. Again, that it, it's something that's happening on individual levels, both on a private level where people are <laughs> developing their own private apps, mm. a state level where they're developing state, you know, uh, health center apps. Right. Um, and, and so for me, I think that it's just a very slippery slope. Uh, it's something I have concerns about. And, and um, you know, again, because of the natural progression to not just contact tracing for a virus, but contact tracing for anything else uh-huh. to yeah. pull, spread a political beliefs to other things like that. I, I do think that this is, has very dangerous potentials and I absolutely think you're going to see those dangerous potentials play out. It, not necessarily in America, but definitely in other uh, more strict regimes, less democratic regimes, whether they be in the middle East, the far East, you know, even Russia in some respects, time will tell, I guess. But um, yeah, I wish I had an answer. Uh, yeah. I think it's great in theory. Uh, the problem is uh, no one's ever worked out the details, and it's all the law of un- unintended consequences that we're worried about. Yep. Adam, do you want any parting words for us? Any parting advice you might want to give the audience? Well, I just think, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we have to realize, and, and this is the same with privacy and security as it is in how we operate in our own lives, is that the ultimate guardian of the consumer has always been, is, and will be the consumer. Hmm. And that when it comes to cyber, that no one has a greater interest in our economic security than we do individually. And no one is in a better position to know what we do than we do. Hmm. Uh, you can't pass a law to some to say to somebody, don't click on that link. <laughs> right. Don't open that attachment. Use 1234 as a password. Uh <laughs> Don't enable two-factor authentication. Whatever you do, don't secure your device and uh, don't freeze your credit. Uh, so, And that's what hackers know, that this is what so many people have a tendency to do. And that's what they prey on. And we have to understand that we are up against a extremely uh, persistent, creative, sophisticated, weaponized, motivated opponent. And that we have day jobs, but we are their day job. Right. There's a lot of money at the end of the rainbow on that thing. And combine that with the fact that breaches have become the third certainty in life and cyber wars replace the Cold War. Mm-hmm. And here's where we are. And as a result, all of the things we talked about today, including all of the privacy implications, play into the fact that, uh, that we have to also defend our privacy. And we have to be mindful of the things that we need to do to not put ourselves in a position where someone can take advantage of us or exploit us. And it takes a little work. It does. But at the end of the day, business hasn't done enough. Government hasn't done enough. Frankly, we haven't done enough. Mm -hmm. And we all have a shared responsibility. And we didn't want it as consumers, didn't ask for it, aren't trained for it. But we've got to we've really got to step up because at the end of the day, no one's going to do it for us, but us. Adam, Eddie, gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been really fun doing a doing a dual interview. 
Uh, we've covered so much ground. I, there were questions I skipped. We, we had so, so many things I would love to cover, and maybe we'll bring you back on again for that. But thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having us. Thanks again to Edward and Adam for coming on the show and making this multi-way interview work. It was it was actually took some time to get all this set up and coordinated, but I think it turned out really great, and I'm glad we did it. If you're a company, you know, looking for cybersecurity solutions, you might want to give them a look, cyberscout.com. And if you're at all worried about identity theft, and honestly, we all should be, you might want to check out Adam's book called Swiped, How to Protect Yourself in a World Full of Scammers, Fishers, and Identity Thieves. I did want to mention briefly, because we talked about it in the in the show, and it was recorded a little bit ago, uh, that Zoom has come around, as I figured they must, and decided to offer end-to-end encryption for everybody uh, the free users as well as the four pay users. Now, I think there's probably st- still devils in these details, but I, I think they've rightly decided that they really can't, they really can't take that stance. Uh, so anyway, we'll see if they actually come through with that. But uh, that has has been updated since I recorded this podcast. Next week we'll have a news show, and boy, if I got a lot of stuff to catch you up on, I've got one particular thing I want to talk to you about right now, actually, because um, I don't want to wait. And that is, if, if you've got a Netgear Wi-Fi router basically almost all Netgear routers have a really bad bug and it has not been fixed yet. So you need to be looking for that fix and be ready to install updated firmware on your Wi-Fi router when that time comes. And in the meantime, you're going to want to make absolutely sure that the administrative interface is not available from the, uh, from the internet. That is from outside your home. I don't know why, why routers would ever give this possibility. It's, you know, it's like hanging a sign saying, please hack me. on your network, you know, hopefully it's off. It should be off by default, but not always. Uh, I'm not going to get through all of it here, but if you go to my website, firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com, the top blog entry there right now will be about that problem. Or if you're on my newsletter, you've, you've already gotten it. Uh, It would have arrived last night. So check your inbox, but we've got lots more to catch up with. There's been so much stuff going on. So uh, we'll have a big news show for you next week. And then after that, we've got another interview uh, already in the bag. I've talked to Renee Dudley from ProPublica. She and her wonderful uh, investigative journalism organization. I've done some really interesting stories lately on ransomware, in particular, kind of a more modern problem of extortion ransomware, where it's not even really an option to not pay, because if you don't pay, the bad guys have taken all your data and they're going to post it publicly. And, you know, the whole cyber insurance thing, which we've talked about in the show before. She's got some interesting perspectives on that. So anyway, that will be the interview following the news show the week uh, after this one. And I want to bring up the Humble Bundle one more time. Uh, if you don't recall, it was A-Press, my publisher, has worked with a company or an organization called Humble Bundle. Uh, and these guys put out several bundles, usually books, sometimes games, things like that, uh, all digital, usually things you can download, not physical copies of something. Uh, but they often do book bundles. And I'm I'm personally addicted to these things. I've bought several myself because it's just so hard to, so impossible to resist. I mean, the deals are amazing. The way they work is there's three tiers. There's like, there's a $1 tier, an $8 tier, and a $15 tier. And the more money you pay, the more books you get. And my book is in the $1 tier. So you can get my book for a buck. Never going to be cheaper than that. So if you don't have the book yet, this is a great way to get it. And you can uh, send that information on to your friends as well. If you pay 15 bucks, you'll basically get over $700 worth of books. So it's, it's an amazing deal. And they, Humble Bundle has several like that. So if you like this one, stay tuned and, and get on their mailing list because they've got lots of great book deals like this. And as if that weren't good enough, uh, it also supports charity. And 
unlike most of these things that support charity, you actually, as you, when you buy these things, you have a little slider. You can actually change how much you want to give to charity versus how much you want to give to Humble Bundle and how much you want to give to A-Press. So you are in full control uh, of how much of that money goes to charity, which is really pretty cool. So check that out. Uh, you can just go to HumbleBundle.com and the bundle is called Protect Your Stuff from A-Press Books. All right, that'll do it. Hope everybody is staying safe out there. Stay home. I know that we all try to, we're all dying to get back out, but we can see what that's done for us. So <laughs> wear your mask when you go out. Please, please wear your mask. It's not a political thing. It's a health thing. And it's not just for you. It's for everybody else around you. So stay safe, stay healthy, stay home. And as always, don't get caught with your drawbridge down.